Um, my name is Jeannie Cox. I have the privilege of working on this Nest team, and I just love it. Um, this has been one of the most edifying things for me at your stage of the game is to come together with a bunch of moms who are in as much chaos and craziness and frenzy as you are and just go, the Lord has a purpose in here for us. And as you can see, I have five children. Uh, my oldest is right there beside me. She's a senior in high school, and Jay is... Um, Behind her, he's seventh grader. Lucy's in front of her. She's fifth grade. That's Emily Jane. She's a freshman. Beside her and my sweet mother-in-law, Nancy, and then Jay Cox, and then Sydney, who is playing soccer in Austin as we speak. And um, she is a sophomore. And then John, my sweet husband, right behind there. And we have a crazy clan. Um, I most often consider myself the example of what not to do. And so you will have a lot of takeaways today that you're like, wow, that's how to avoid that situation, maybe, I don't know. Um, I moved to Dallas 20 years ago. I've been married 20 years, and we just celebrated our 20-year anniversary. I cannot believe it. It has flown, flown. It was, we celebrated in June. It feels like yesterday, but it actually is January, and um, it was just amazing to think about all just how faithful the Lord has been over the last 20 years, and I came here, and I felt like a tree um, with roots that I was carrying around. I'm a very relational person. I lived in Nashville, which is a big, small town. And I felt like I was a tree carrying my roots, waiting to plant. And it took me three years before I really found some kindred spirits and got rolling. It took us seven years to find Watermark, you know, before we were here and we really plugged in and found a church. There are so many churches. It's like restaurants. They're everywhere. It's very hard to settle and go, where is the Lord going to take us deep and grow our roots? And um, I know for you, if you're like me, I had my second child in December. And Christmas baby, I never felt closer to Jesus, kind of got what Mary was going through. It was so sweet. I got to spend it at home. We decided then we were going to do Thanksgiving and Christmas at home and not travel. And so that kind of took me out of my crazy chaos back in Tennessee. And his family was delightful, but it, they came to visit with us. And so one of our first um, memories, or one of my big memories from that is, is us all dressing up and doing our little own little makeshift Walmart dollar cloth live nativity that Christmas with Sydney as the baby. And then everybody left. And there was this postpartum that set in. Um, I had all these expectations for what it was going to look like with baby number two. And um, very works-oriented background. I thought, you know, if I just worked hard enough and was organized and had things together that I could really make this make sense and still have dinner on the table when he walked in from work and, and the house clean and things like that. And it just, the wheels just started wobbling and just started coming off. And by March, I was full-blown. And so I go in for my checkup and my um, doctor is like, are you struggling? And I'm like, I'm struggling. And he's like, I think a lot of your issue um, that you're struggling is your expectation of yourself. He said, so I want you to sleep when the baby sleeps and sleep eight hours a night. I want you to, and that's hard to do with a toddler, but you know, just try to lay down and be still as much as you can. I want you to get exercise 30 minutes a day and I want you to get some sunshine. And he was like, you know, looking at me through the lens, even though he wasn't a believer, through the lens and going, hey, you just need some encouragement. You need some help. And that is what we're here to do. I don't know where you are on the spectrum of things. If you feel just incredibly um, on your game coming into 2018, or if already 12 days in, you've probably broken half of the resolutions you made. And there's probably, the room is about half and half 
right? But we start out the year with all sorts of expectations and dreams and goals and hopes and desires. And then some to where about mid-January, it starts to kind of crumble. And so we're here today to help you pick up those pieces to figure out what is the Lord's for you this year and what is your expectation, what is in Him, what's false, what's true, and cultivate some time and some tools and some, um, hopefully, mindsets that can get you through probably a long, cold, dreary winter. Because right now it's so hard. I just applaud you guys for even having the courage to come out as bad as the flu season has been and as sick of people has been. It's been hard to get out and know where to go. And that's been tough on older kids as well as younger kids. And um, it's just hard right now. It's kind of the drudgery, the, the days. So we want to look at the condition of our heart as it relates to the parable of the four soils. And so if we could go ahead and flip into the slides, I want to show you guys a picture of where we're going um, today. We have a picture of the four soils. And in, the, um, in Matthew and in Mark, Jesus tells the parable of the four soils. And we have a little video to help you ramp up on that so we don't have to worry about reading through the whole thing. But you see the road here and the hardest stone, you know, you may have been dragged here by a friend and have no clue why you're here. We are glad you're here. We want you here. Your heart, you know, you may feel like you're just kind of wheels off on the highway to hell as such and just not a clue as to where you're going in life. You're, you may be overrun with rocks. Your heart may be just heavy and weighed down and burdened, maybe eaten up with worries and cares and what ifs and is my husband okay? I can't get him to answer the phone. Um, where, you know, where is the babysitter? She said she was going to be here at six o'clock. I've got to go. Just overrun with worry and concern. Or it may be just soft and supple and ready to grow and ready to flourish. You will find yourself in one of these spots. And one of my favorite Christmas carols is joy to the world. And it gets lauded as a Christmas carol, but it's really a second coming carol. And um, if you look at the lyrics, it says, joy to the world, the Savior reigns. Let saints there, let men their songs employ while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sound in joy. And we're going to look today at the purpose of rocks. And we're going to come to understand there's a lot of rocks mentioned in scripture. And I've always wanted to unpack the middle of the parable of the sower. And we're going to do that today. They repeat the sound in joy. Rocks help us remember. They help us go back and remember what God has done and really get grounded and solidified. They can also hinder growth. So we're going to look at the rocks in Scripture. And it says, No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make the blessings flow far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. We are all under a curse. Part of the drudgery, part of the depression, part of the hardness that we experience in life is the ground is cursed. There will be pain in childbirth, which you guys all experienced and tasted. And you know there's also a pain not only bringing a child into the world, but watching them make choices and watching them rebel against you know what's best for them. We are under a curse. Our desire will be for our husband. He will rule over us. There's that yin-yang all the time of our needs and his needs and focusing our hearts and minds on the Lord and but expecting, having a lot of expectations and dreams and hopes for us in our relationship with each other. We have fallen under a curse, but there is hope. We have a Savior, and he has come. He is mighty to save, and he can come and deliver you and teach you how to sort through the hardness of your heart, breakthrough, sort through the rocks and learn what to do with them and how to align them with his will and his purpose and what he has cultivated in your life. And also what to do about the weeds that are never ending. It's like dirty diapers. They just keep coming and coming and coming. The endless bottles, the toys on the floor, 
you know, the, the people that you forget to return their email or text or call, and then you're just in hot water. It's endless. And we're going to learn how he wants to bring us to the place where his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he wants to get us to the place where we can, rep, we can more accurately represent that fertile soil. So as we dive in, I have a little treat for you. I used to um, get to work in K-1 Race, and I loved K-1 Race and On Your Mark, and they would always show these sweet videos which kind of brought scripture to life for the kids so that they, you didn't have to just sit there and read it to them and hope they were listening to you. Our next slide, I think, may be the Hosea slide, or is it, yeah, here we go, the animated parable of the four souls. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. When he was alone, those who were around him, along with the twelve, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything comes in parables, in order that they may indeed look but not perceive, and may indeed listen but not understand, so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? Then how will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones on the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy, but they have no root and endure only for a while. Then, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are those sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, and it yields nothing. And these are the ones sown on the good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. love that. I love how it brings it to life. Those things are right out there on YouTube. Stick that in the back of your mind. If you go home and Google the parable of the four soils, you know, vid videos, that will pop up and you can show that to your kids and bring the word to life, you know, even as you drive home today and talk about what you learned. Hosea 10:12 says, "Sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. Break up your unplowed ground for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness on us." And today, we want to break up some unplowed ground. We want to know as your table leaders, as your sisters in Christ, as your friends, where is it that you want to take ground today? Which of those soils are you? Are you hard? 
Are you just lonely and sad and down? Are you um, eaten up with rocks? Are you eaten up with thorns? Are you ready to roll? And each segment of my heart at different points in time, even in the same day, can represent different parts of that parable. Um, and rocks represent, we're going to start out with the rocks represent a lot of things in scripture. And so it kind of gets confusing when you hear about the rocks is the rock. Me is the rock. Jesus is the rock. Something to get rid of. So here we go. Rocks represent our hardened hearts. The first thing that you see is Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Our hearts are dead and lonely and empty without Christ. And he takes our hearts and he removes it when you come into relationship with him and he gives you a new heart so that you can know him and love him and serve him. Our hearts are hearts of stone. And on your handout, you see that picture. I love how the heart is just embedded. Sunday, one of our dear, precious leader and friends, she finds hearts everywhere she goes. And it's a symbol that the Lord is always looking at your heart, okay? Man looks at the outward appearance. The Lord looks at the heart. He's looking for a heart that's ready to be broken. The rocks can also represent in Scripture Jesus, the cornerstone of our faith. In 2 Peter, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He is the cornerstone of our faith. And we being made in the image of God and being set apart for him. If you've come into a relationship with Christ and let him give you a new heart, you are a part of his family. You're a living stone. It's organic. And what he's doing with you is building his kingdom. Okay? And second, it goes on to say, for in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. If you're worried, if you are Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how does your garden grow? And you're looking at your house and you're looking at your children and you're looking at your marriage, you're looking at your body and you're going, where am I in this process? Am I, am I being a productive and effective member of God's family? He is the precious cornerstone on which you can bank and you will never be put to shame. He is building you into something that you couldn't even ask or imagine. Rocks also represent our sovereign foundations. And this is where the, we fall on the seesaw today. We are all at once a child of God on whom he's working and carving his image. And at the same time, we're entrusted with children. Our houses are full of babies who are running around, little pagans, little heathens who want nothing more than to build their own kingdom, right? And we have to figure out what that looks like. How do I work on me? and then help my husband develop his relationship with the Lord and then somehow disciple these children to know him and make him known. What in the world does that look like? And we are realizing that we are living out of our sovereign foundation. Some of you are escaping families as if, you know, just escaping a house on fire. Some of you came from families where you want to emulate everything your mom and dad did. Some of you don't want to do anything your mom and dad did, but you're not quite sure what it looks like. What does a good, solid family look like? You know, what do Christmas traditions look like I want to do? What, how do I celebrate Valentine's? What do I think about birthdays? What do I do? Um, you know, how do I just even celebrate my anniversary? I mean, you don't even know. You come in with so many expectations and hopes and dreams, but what does that look like measured up against Christ? Our sovereign foundations are what we're really going to unpack today. What are the things that God are like rocks 
that we were born with. It could be a birth defect. It could be coming out of a family that was divorced. It could be moving 16 times before you graduated high school. It could be having an addict in your family. It could be like me, my father, going through bankruptcy. It could be growing up in a town of 600 and then country come to town. Nobody will even hardly listen to you because of your accent. It could be um, any number of things. It could be your husband losing his job and not having work right now. We each have things that are outside our realm of control but are sovereignly part of our story. How do we deal with those? And we see in the parable of the sower that when those things aren't dealt with, our roots are shallow because there's no room for Jesus to take root, to take for his word and his truth to take root and grow. So we're going to unpack what you do with those. It says, Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we see that stones all through scripture can represent the hardness of our hearts, that come in contact with Christ, hopefully, and stumble on him as our cornerstone, and we fall. Boundaries cause you to fall. That's why the Lord puts the law in place. That's why he gave us the Ten Commandments, and he spends books and books and books spelling out his law and reiterating it because he wants us to run into the fact that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and we do not naturally walk with him. We do not naturally build his kingdom. We want to build our own. And you, as a mom, are never more convinced that man is born with a mind of his own with a will of his own, and meant means to get what they want when they want it. Yes? Did you have to teach your children to say no? Did you have to teach your children to cry when they don't get what they want? No. And did you have to teach your children to take things they really want without asking? No. Or to run away and hide when they're ashamed. Nobody taught them that. It's, we're born that way. We're born with that heart. And so we want to stumble onto Christ and see him as the precious cornerstone and then crumble under his grace. We want our hearts to be broken and split wide open and receive his grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. But then help him take those stones, those broken pieces of our life, and as Ben Rector sings so beautiful, Lord, help me make something beautiful of this brokenness of my life. But if we don't, girls, if we don't stumble onto Christ and crumble um, and just submit and surrender to him, that gospel, that truth, when we try to live life on our own in that hardness of heart, that highway to hell picture, we he will fall on us and we will be crushed. So he's either something we stumble on and crumble and just break under the um, glory of just letting him rework us and remake us, or then the law will fall. That boundary will fall because we can never live up to God's perfect standard. We need a savior. We're born needing a savior. Um, and we know that. And so then he teaches us to take those broken parts of our life and make something beautiful. They become platforms. The Lord used all through my life. It says in Exodus 20, let's go there first. If you use stones to build my altar, use only the natural uncut ones. And what I heard him saying to me when I found this verse, when I was searching through for stones, it says, do not shape the stones with a tool. That would make the altar unfit for holy use. Don't change who you are. Let God use the divorce that you suffered through, the dad that was never there, the mom that her expectations beat you up to the point you could barely get through the day. Don't let the, um, 
lack of having the wealth that you want and all your friends had. Don't let maybe the wealth that you did have that made you feel estranged from everybody else in your world. Don't let those things um, become, don't, don't mess with them. Put them in their proper place. Let them take on their right, or just their, align themselves under Christ. Know which ones go. They can become, it says, then your people, Isaiah 60, will be righteous and they will possess the land forever. They are the shoot I have planted, the work of my hands for the display of his splendor. Let them become platforms on which God alters, where God shows his grace and glory. I'm just reading through Genesis and Isaac, God's precious promise to Abraham that he had to wait and wait and wait for. He called him to sacrifice. He called him to lay on an altar and he willingly obeyed. And out of that, that faith, God used to build the nation of Israel. And we see even in, um, I'm reading through Acts, and when um, Paul came, or Peter came across the man, it says, silver and gold have I none, but this I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he was able to testify about him. That God allowed that man to be crippled his whole life so that then that could become a platform for him to share the glory and the grace of God. And you just see God all through scripture using our pain, using our brokenness, using our dysfunctional families of origin to come to bear. Now you on this seesaw at once, I'm a child of God with the sovereign foundation that God is using as a platform, but Lord help me here. I am laying a foundation for my child and I'm going to be a part of what puts that child on Oprah and resurrects her because she's going to have enough material once they get my family raised. She's going to have enough material to come back. She's not going to need to be president. She's going to get to actually come and have her talk show back because it'll be just rotating Jeannie's kids through, talking about all the ways that they, she did them wrong. And so you, you're just kind of there's that dough in the headlights feeling of, am I just screwing this kid up? And what kind of foundation am I laying for this kid? Do I know what I'm doing? And if you allow yourselves, avail yourself of God's word, get yourself, you know, into a Bible study, study his word, know him, he will through you help them to grow to be living stones, which he builds his kingdom through. But we are the display of his splendor. And the best thing we can do, you hear this all over Watermark, is draw a circle and stay inside. You have to allow yourself to be a living sacrifice, to be an altar that God uses for the display of his splendor cultivating your relationship with Christ so that it is truly caught, not just taught. And so in Matthew 21, it says, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone, being Jesus, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls would be crushed. You do not want to try to live up under the perfection of the law and your perfectionistic expectations of yourself. You want to crumble and surrender and put yourself before a loving and righteous and grace-filled and merciful God who will help you. And the way you do that, you get in the Word, and you let His Word and His Spirit change you and transform you to ever-increasing glory and build you into something. Um, you're all faced with a choice each day. Do I crumble under my need for the gospel today and go, Lord, I can't, but you can? One of my favorite verses that I pray all the time. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that at all things and all times having all you need, you will abound in every good work. He's able. We're not. Can you bring your inability to even keep your own New Year's resolutions to him and lay it at his feet? And do that in such a way that your kids see you constantly coming to his throne room for grace. Um, <clears throat> the next picture I want to put up, which I love, um, is Jay. This is Granny's rock. 
when we go out to Oregon over Christmas, the tide recedes every so often to way far out. This, this rock is about 50 yards out from their house, which is up on the water. And this is Boy Conquers Rock. We want to put these rocks in perspective where we're standing on them and we're using them as platforms. We see that we're born with a hard heart. We stumble onto Christ. We crumble under his grace. We face a choice to either say, I'm going to do it my way or I'm going to surrender to you. Okay? And then he takes us. He blesses us and calls us his chosen ones, holy and precious to him in his sight. He breaks us, right? He takes us through hard things um, and a lot of loss, and Suze is going to hit on that. And then he gives us away. He uses that as a platform for his grace. And his sister, you might not be able to see her, is following right behind. She actually plops in the water. He kind of jumped lily pad across some of those rocks and got up on that. That's who we want to be. We want to be instrument of his grace for the display of his splendor. Um, The next picture that I'm going to show you is actually from Israel. And when we were driving through, there were hundreds of scenes like this. You see what the soil is like over there. I was astounded at how rocky the soil was. This parable came alive when you see how rocky the soil really is. Farmers have to work. That's why their gardens would be so small. And you'd be like, why? It'd be like, because they had to work so hard getting the rocks out. But you see on over the edge, you see that once they have cleared them, then they become beautiful Um, vineyards and gardens and things that can grow, but it takes a lot of work to dig through and then to sort through, what do I do with this rock? Is this a rock I need to get rid of? Is this a rock I use to build a boundary in my life? Is this a rock I use to build an altar that it's just going to be a part of my story and I just need to stand on it as a platform? What am I going to do with it? And one of the most pivotal books I read when I was in my 20s is called The Making of a Leader by Robert Clinton. And this book says, talks about your sovereign foundations. I'm going to read you this quote. God providentially works to lay the foundations of a leader's life through family, environment, and historical events. In the first three phases, and it has six phases that a leader goes through as they develop them, God's work is primarily in the leader, not through him or her. Many emerging leaders do not recognize this and become frustrated. They... Um, consistently, they are consistently evaluating productivity and activities while God is quietly evaluating their leadership potential. He wants to teach us that we minister out of what we are and who we are and where we've come from. And he does not want to do away with that. He wants to use it and integrate it into your life. And so your rocks constantly need to be realigned. I've found through recovery, the addicts in my family, all three of my older siblings are addicts. My grandfather was. That creates a lot of dysfunction within a family. But I've learned that he used that to teach me, while theirs may be drug and alcohol, mine's food. That man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. To depend on his word in the way my sisters and my brothers depend on alcohol in the way I depend on food. He's brought me to the end of myself. My dad's bankruptcy taught me that life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Um, Coming from a small country town taught me what it felt like to be alone and excluded and thought less of because of my family of origin and where I came from. Um, He used each one of these things. Right now, what he's using more than anything, the biggest rock I have to deal with is the hardness of my own child's heart and how she is not wanting to walk with the Lord right now and not wanting to follow hard after him. She professed faith, and the hardness and the heat of this world when it come, it really exposed who she was and that she was a follower of Christ while things were working for her. But now that they're not, and now that she suffered tragic loss and, and 
blown expectations of what her senior year was supposed to look like, she is stumbling, you know? And so we're sitting back as parents going, how do we handle that? And what is ours and what is God's and how do we wait? Well, what do we do? Um, God has brought into my life this, this fall, Paul Tripp's book, Parenting, and those chapters have guided me through what is mine and what is the Lord's. He's taken me to Jody Burnt's praying scripture for your teens and praying scripture for your children over and over just to cover her in the word because that's all I can do is wait and pray, watch and pray, be available. When her tide comes and her rage goes high and she hates me and she calls me whatever she wants to call me, to be faithful to stand the test and not treat her as her sins deserve or repay her according to her iniquities. God is teaching me that by the day, and I fail mightily. Um, What rocks are you grappling with today, okay? And how are you going to let them be a part of your story and part of what God uses to to, um, align and build his kingdom in your world? And, And if we leave them, girls, if we don't address them at all, we're just, we're going to be not very deep. God's word, his truth can't dig in and get to our souls. We have to remove these rocks. We don't want to be weighed down by them. We want to align them maybe as a fence that helps protect the enemy, maybe as an altar. What are you going to do with the rocks in your life? What are the rocks in your life? So as you go to table time now, I want you to discuss with your table leaders, what are the stones right now that are really heavy in your heart They're kind of eating up room in your heart, your mind. And you can think about even if you want to wonder what they are, what you spend your time, what you spend your thoughts on, what you spend your money on. What are the things in your world that are taking up space? Um, A hard heart towards God? You don't really believe he's good and great and can do what he says he's doing? Stumbling? Are you stumbling onto Christ? Are you just now discovering who he is and who you are in light of his grace? Are you crumbling under the weight of trying to carry your own load? and just falling at his mercy, especially under the burden of having young children. And and how can you use these to establish an altar for his glory? And talk about where you are in that for a few minutes before Suze comes to guide us. Um, The prayer that I want to leave you guys with that will guide you is um, in this time it says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. I will tell you what recovery has taught me is what's mine. So draw a circle today. Talk about what's inside your heart. What do you need serenity to accept? What do you need the courage to change? And um, how can you seek God's wisdom to know the difference? And then Susie's going to come and lead us in just a bit. On to the next one. All right, y'all ready? Here we go. Um, when, <laughs> just finish your last statement. When we started talking about harvest uh, being our theme this year, I'm Suzanne Sanderson, by the way. Or else I guess I should introduce myself. I have the privilege of being on staff in family and children's ministry, and I just came back from staff retreat and realized that was a really bad idea to say I'd speak the day after I got back from staff retreat because I've had basically no sleep and been around lots of people who are sick. So I just got a text that two people have the stomach bug and two people have the flu. And I'm like, oh, did I touch you at all while I was there? Because I don't feel so great. Um, So I don't know if it's like process of thinking I probably feel bad or if I actually really feel bad. We'll see. But when we were talking about harvest at the beginning of the year and just deciding on our theme last spring, I said, you know, I, you can't talk about harvest if you don't talk about fertilizing. 
And fertilizer is, if you get the right fertilizer and the good fertilizer, and if you've ever been to a place that's been fertilized by the right stuff, you're like, what is that smell? This is awful. And yet it helps bring the harvest later. You just have to go through some of the crap to get there. So that's what I get to talk about, which is no surprise that I was really happy there was an emoji. Because if you know me at all, you know I like emojis. So there's our emoji for the day. But I want to tell you, I never knew that I was going to be able to use this story when I was on stage. So I'm in college. I live with five, four other girls. We live in a house at A&M. And the, my roommate, just to give you a little taste of who she is, called me one day and she says, Suzanne, I'm at the pet store. And I was like, okay. She goes, I've always dreamed. I mean, who's going to say no once you start like that? And she goes, and the, the guy said that this pet would be like, he could go free in our room and and it would be great, and it's like really clean, and like they're like you can train them to like do whatever you tell them to do. And I'm like, what are we about to live with? And she goes, I want an iguana. And I went, oh, I'm so, a what? She goes, an iguana. I like you mean like a legit lizard? She goes, yeah, and it doesn't even have to be in a cage. And I'm like, okay. <sighs> so me and my insecure people pleasing self, I said, sure, you can have an iguana. She brings home a lizard. It's about that long. And y'all, I found that thing under my pillow. Yeah. Found him hanging on my clothes in my closet. Like when I pulled the hanger out, he's hanging in my closet. So anyway, that gives you an idea. She's quirky, she's quirky really funny. So uh, fast, I think it was fast forward. It's not even been pre that. But we are sitting in the living room, have some friends over. And all of a sudden, our bathroom that we shared was downstairs. All the rooms were upstairs. So we were downstairs. And she was in the bathroom. And all of a sudden, I hear her scream. And I'm like, what is happening? And she cracks the door open, screams my name, and slams the door shut. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So anyway, I was kind of like, I was like, ah. So I go over there, and I'm like, hey, can I, what, what is going on? She goes, nobody else can come in here. And I was like, well, do you want me to come in? I don't even know if I want you to come in here. And I'm like, what is happening? I can't tell you what's happening. And I'm like, uh, you, okay, will you let me in? So she cracks the door, and I like, literally, after like, she's sitting on the counter, like, well, she's crouched on the counter. So I squeeze in, and right when I put my first foot in the door, it was wet. And I went, what is happening? So I closed the door in, y'all, gushing from the toilet. Yes, yeah, somebody got it. Poop everywhere. And not watered down poop, like log, like bad, okay? And she's on the counter. I'm like, well, could you have told me to get on the counter when I came? So anyway, so I get on the counter with her. I'm like, what is happening? And she's like, what do we do? And I'm like, we got to get help. No, we can't get help. You can't bring anyone else in here. And I'm like, no, we need help. Like, this is bad. She's like, no. And she's like literally blocking the door and won't let anyone else come in. And I'm like, well, we got to do something. And she's like, I know, what do we do? And so we turn the water off and with cups, mind you, scoop the water, pour it into the shower, and figured out how to get rid of all of that. And someone goes, you have to tell the end of the story. Literally, y'all, you can actually put poop in the shower, turn the water on real high, and it will disintegrate and then go down the drain. So that's what we did. And then we Lysoled in lots of Lysol and bleach. But I tell you that because her first reaction was the poop in her life, which we're not real sure if it was hers or mine, because I do confess I had a foot-long chili cheese dog from Sonic earlier in the day. That didn't go well either. So we didn't know whose it was. We just knew it was either one of ours. And so we were both willing to be a part of it because we both maybe had something to do with it. But it was such a great picture for me when I was thinking about this that a lot of times we don't want other people on our crap. We want the pain and the hard. We want to do two things. We want people to not be a part of it because it's hard. Grief, pain, hard stuff is just hard. And we're like, please don't see all of that. Like none of us really share our poop stories. 
Guys do, we don't. And so we don't talk about it, but y'all, we all do it. And so we all have it. And so that's what, just when we were talking about this, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, y'all, I'm gonna read off the screen, but I'll read off my thing. It says, without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest, which means poop comes if you're gonna have a harvest, okay? So studying this verse, and it's when you have a stable without ox, there's nothing there. Like it's, you have a perfectly clean stable, but if you want a harvest, if you want food on your table, which is what that's talking about, if you want wheat in your barn, you have to have ox to help you with that. You have to till the ground. And so to do that, you got to create fertilizer. And that is the only way God can work in our hearts. And so God promised us the hard things was going to come. So he told us in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And I think sometimes we go, mm, maybe we will. Or, but if I'm good enough or faithful enough or do the right things, it won't come. But he didn't give any of those clauses in there. He just said, it's gonna happen. Like we will have this. So then Romans 8, 17 says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. And sometimes we want to skip over that part. Let's just share the glory part. Let's not have the suffering part, but we have to experience what Christ experienced, which is going through, he went through the hardest thing so that our heart will be different. Is that my earring hitting? Oh, well, let's get, I'm going to take the earring just in case, but construction with us. The hard things, you're not bringing up the hard things. Okay, so hard things will come into our life for a variety of reasons. There's three of them that they come. Sometimes you caused it. Sometimes your own sin, your own neglect, your own whatever brings hard things into your life. Others cause it. So sometimes other people do things to you. So Jeannie was talking about, hey, what you grew up with, you didn't have much control over that. God chose your parents. God chose your siblings. And the hard things sometimes can because other people did things. Even sometimes other people make mistakes, like big, hard mistakes. And it comes into your life. And the third thing is that God caused it. And so... Sorry if y'all's is backwards, but that, I, I think number three is the hardest one because we, if you read scripture and somebody's like, what well, doesn't cause hard? I'm like, huh? If you read scripture, there's a lot of things he caused. Like he, he caused the flood. He caused people to die. He caused wars to happen. Like he causes lots of things. And those three things, the great thing about all three of those is here's what we know, no matter which of those three things it is. One is that he's sovereign and in control. We know that he has a plan and we know that he's good. So let's look at some scripture to back all those up. Proverbs, I mean, Job 42.2 says, I know you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. And Psalm 135.6 says, the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth and the seas and all their depths. And so we know God's in control. Y'all, that's a hard thing sometimes. That's a hard thing to wrestle with that God has all of it in his hands. The enemy can't do anything without God saying it's okay. And so when you read Job, you're like, that's crazy that the enemy goes to God and says, can I jack with that dude? And God says, yes. When you read Peter, yes, Peter. And uh, Jesus says, the enemy has asked to sift y'all. I don't know if you ever knew this, I learned this, that it's actually the enemy asked to sift all of them like wheat. But Jesus said, I have prayed for you to Peter. So it's actually a plural thing. And then just, he says, I prayed for you, Peter, which I think is really sweet because he knows the enemy's gonna go after Peter. 
And I'm like, man, God knows that. He's sovereign. He's control over all of those things. And so then Isaiah 14, 24 says, the Lord of heaven's armies has sworn this oath. It will happen as I have planned. It will be as I have decided. And Isaiah 46, 10 says, only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass for I do whatever I wish. And y'all, that's hard. It's hard. It's in his plan. He knows like what's coming. He either caused it or he allowed it. It's one of the two things. Like it can't be something different than that. And so everything filters through that. And yet the third one is, but he is good. And if anything, y'all, I, this has been the craziest talk to prepare for, which has been, it's been weird because everyone's like, why is this so hard for you? Like, why are you so, I'm like, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's just really hard and heavy information. If it's heavy truth, not even just information. I don't know if I'm worried that someone's going to leave here and go, well, she's blew everything, like just, just depressing. I don't know what I'm worried about, but all I know is that what I want you to hear is that he can be trusted and he's good. And you like us, you have to wrestle and fight to get to the fact when those first two things, the control and his plan, getting to this, that it's to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes in Psalm 139. And everything that comes to us comes through good, loving hands. And I forget that. Like I, for, I'm going to get ahead of myself. But anyway, I forget those things. All right. And then we also know why. So we know why hard things come. And so just as we're talking about the harvest and it gets tilled up, there's two reasons that hard things come into our life. And one is it's, it's for his glory. And number two is it changes us. And so when you look in John 9, I think this is one of the really sweet places in scripture where um, the disciples are talking about a blind man and the disciples said, is he blind because of the sin of his parents? Like, was it punishment basically? And Jesus says, no, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And that's like, like, y'all, this is really weird. That's one of the things I fear most is going blind because I love color. I love just there's so much about what we see that gives me a appreciation for who God is. And so that's one of the things I pray. I'm like, oh Lord, if you ever made me go blind, oh, I think that would, that might really make me question you. So he probably will make me go blind at some point just because of that. But I shouldn't have said it out loud. So, um, but I think about this guy who's been blind and he hears it so God can receive glory and us getting to this place of realizing that's the only reason we're here. The only reason we were created was to bring God glory. And that's hard because it just makes it really not about us. And so in that, when he says that, and then the second thing is it changes us. So discipline changes us. So James 1, 2 through 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And so I'm going to stop there because how many of y'all have read that verse and thought you're crazy? Like that doesn't make sense. Like, like God's economy is so backwards <laughs> for our own finite minds. But considering it joy and trust because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish at work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I can tell you in my own life, there so much in my life didn't go the way I thought it would go. If you would have asked me when I was, I don't know, let's be generous, 18, I would have told you I would be a mom. I'd have a lot of kids. I, my parents would be believers. Actually, we must back up to when I was 14 because it 
when I was 15, so when dad told us he didn't believe in God anymore. But so when I was 14, like life looked pretty good. Like, I'm, of course I'm gonna have kids. Of course I'm gonna get married. Of course my parents are believers and we're gonna have this happy life. And then it explodes when I'm 15 and God says, I don't believe in this anymore. I grew up, he was a youth minister, grew up in the church. So it was this devastating, like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Rocked my world, tilled up so much soil in my heart. And it started to ask the question of like, hey, what, where is my faith? And then I'm 44 still not married, still don't have kids. And that is just so outside of what I thought God would do. Now, there's so much great that I've got to experience and I I really do love my life, but that's part of the heart of what God's done in my life to till the soil to move me to be mature and complete. And I still am lacking many, many things, but I can tell you the heart that's happened in my life has allowed so much growth and things to mature in my life and change me. Like I'm a different person today, which hopefully we can all say this, and I was at 15 and like dramatic. I started thinking like, God, can, I don't know how I got hired here because I was a mess. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. So lots and lots of hard that just has changed and impacted who I am. And then the next verse says, First um, Peter 1, 6 and 7, in all this you greatly rejoice. Know that now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So again, it's not about us. It's going to bring, well, the things that come into our life bring praise and glory and honor to the Lord when we entrust those to him. So, um, the Lord's funny. This morning when I was getting dressed, I of course, went through like 19 different things. I was like, oh, that looks stupid, you know, whatever. But I was laughing because I got like, this is, we got this as our little Christmas gift for staff. And it's kind of funny because it's a cape and I don't know what you do with capes. But anyway, I was purple. I don't have a lot of purple. And so I found, I was like, oh, I have that purple necklace I never get to wear. And so I pulled it out and I was laughing because this next thing that part of what I was thinking is like, hey, God hides precious treasures in hard things. And so do y'all know where diamonds come from? Do y'all know? Anybody know? Coal. Yes. So coal, which seems so, I mean, like dirty, gross coal that you use to make fire. When it's refined and pressed and hardened is where diamonds come from, which is so crazy that God goes, yes, I'm going to take this really, and where pearls are found in gross oyster. I mean, blah, right? And then this was, uh, it's one of those geodes, you know, where, I don't know if it's real or fake, but you break it, you know, it's a rock. They look, they're not pretty and you have to work to get to the inside of them. And I thought, gosh, how gracious is the Lord to make the things that we treasure and that we think are so awesome come through really, really hard things so that he gives us that, okay, if you're doing something with me that will bring you glory, will reflect you, it's easier to release to that, I think, sometimes. And then the second thing is fatherly discipline. So this is, we're going to sit here for just a little bit because this is a, 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 I would say this is the biggest thing I've learned in the last couple months in preparing for this in Hebrews 11, we read all of these um, heroes of the faith who went through really hard things to, that God used in their life to prove their faith to be true. It's what proved their righteousness. It's what showed that they trusted the Lord over themselves and over their plan. And in Hebrews 11:34, it says their weakness was turned to strength. And so even all of them, you see, it's not places where they just got it. It's places where they had to trust the Lord to move forward in something or it's something that God called them to do that 
is, you know, Moses, hey, go get the people out of the promised land. He's like, are you crazy? And he's like, yes, go be my servant, which is what he wants us all to do. So then Jesus faces the cross in Hebrews 12 too. It says, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And so Christ knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows like, he, he makes a bitmoji kind of a joke, right? I mean, like he knows the pain and he endured it for two reasons. One, because he wanted to honor and glorify the Father, but two, because he loved us. Like that's why he went was for us, for our ability to be in relationship with the Father again and to experience this next thing, which is in Hebrews 12, Five through six is my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord's disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Then Proverbs three, eleven and twelve says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So that obviously that came Solomon wrote that and then it gets put into Hebrews and this is the part that I, I realize. I'm like, Lord, I don't think I fully get this because there are things that come into my life that I'm convinced are punishment. And no believer is punished. Like Jesus took all of that on the cross. That's why he chose to take on the cross was to take your punishment. So there's nothing in your life. If you are covered by the blood of Jesus, there's nothing in your life that's punishment. Nothing. And I don't think I fully get that. Because I still, when hard things come, I'm like, well, what did I do? I didn't believe enough or I didn't something enough. And so we wrestle with this. There's something about me instead of pausing and realizing this isn't, it's actually just really not about me. It is about me in that God is going to refine me and change me, make me more like his son and use me for his glory. But it's not about something I've done. And so any discipline, any hard thing that comes into our life, is for discipleship, for, for changing us, for correcting us. And when I say correcting, it's to move us more towards being like his son, not sometimes where I think we struggle with disciplining our own children, which is just out of, I need you to do this right so that my life's easier. God doesn't need us to make it easier for him. He wants us to be more like his son. He wants us to experience his grace. He wants us to experience what it is to be fully his and to live in his glory and have a chance to glorify him. And I can tell you of all the hard that's come into my life, all the hard that's come into people's lives around me. It's crazy to me in the last six weeks, I went to three funerals, which I'm like, okay, Lord. Just the hard. So I've watched a friend lose a son. I've watched a, a, a friend lose her mom. I've watched a friend lose her dad. And then I've watched a friend lose his wife. And all of them, every one of them will tell you God is still good. And they know that because they've experienced God being in control and sovereign and having a plan. They've experienced hard things before so they can see like you're trustworthy, even though I don't get it. And all of them are going, I don't really understand fully what God's doing. And none of us will get to know fully, but I can put my life in a good loving father's hands, even though I don't understand and y'all, it's hard. Like I sit across from people and I'm like, this truth that I'm telling y'all, like it's really hard to tell somebody when they're going, but I, this, this really sucks. We laugh at it. We're like, is there a better word than sucks? Because sucks doesn't sound great, but it also doesn't express like really, really hard. Like it sucks when I have to go outside and scrape my window with ice or, you know, but I'm like, what is it when you've lost your child? Like, what's that word? And 
to look at them and say, but God is still good and his plans have not been thwarted. Nobody changed that. Nobody went around God to make this happen. And it's, it's a hard wrestle, but none of it's punishment. Like it's not punishment. And that's been, you know, I'm still, I think I'm still wrestling, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting to where I'm like, okay. So I found this um, quote from William Barclay. I think he's kind of a big guy, smart person, but and Mandy, who went to DTS, is going, yes, Suzanne, he is, but whatever. It's a great quote. We shall cease from self-pity, from resentment, and from rebellious complaint if we remember that there is no discipline of God which does not take its source in love and which is not aimed at good. I sit in that first line a lot, self-pity. Like, why? Why Why did you choose me to be single? Why didn't you give me a kid? Why won't you let my parents believe in you? Why won't you let my sister trust you? And I go on and on with the why, why, why. And God's like, do you believe everything in your life is aimed at your good and my glory? And clearly my answer is no, or I wouldn't be sitting up in the self-pity, resentment, and rebellious, which is, we won't ever fully get it. We have to keep wrestling to get there. So uh, Hebrews 12, 10 through 11, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness no discipline is enjoyable Why it's happening. It's painful, but afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So again, when we allow God to use any pain that comes into our life, any hardship, any, even the things that others cause or the rocks that we were given when we were born, whatever it is, if we allow him to use those things to till up the soil of our heart, to soften us, to let him plant those seeds of faith in our heart, he will make a harvest. Like he promises that. And you can hold him to it, which is so great. Because I'm like, God, if you're gonna do all this in my life, please make it for your glory. And he is so faithful to do that. Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. These are verses that I, oh, sorry, Siri. I didn't mean to talk to you. Um, Second Corinthians 4, 8 through 10. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. So anytime we suffer, anytime we are sharing in Christ's suffering so that people can see there is an alive, active, real God. But it all depends on whether or not we release and we let him. Like we have to give him space so that he can do those things in our hearts. If we close off and are hardened, then he'll wait. He's, he's patient, but he wants to, to produce that harvest in your life. And then 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, we think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And that's another verse that has been, always runs through my mind when I sit in the self-pity. If I'm honest, I keep going, okay, but Lord, you want anything that comes into my life to relate, like to pull my hands back, <laughs> to make me let go. And I wasn't gonna share this, but now I'm going to because I just did that. So this summer when I was, um, was right after, there's some hard things going on and I was sitting at the lake and just wrestling with the Lord and I, I was sitting there and I was like, man, I just want my hands to be open. And so I want all of you to take your hand and lay it on the table and make a fist 
And then I want you to open your hand and then relax. So just open your fingers and then relax and see what happens to your fingers. Do they stay flat? They don't. So for whatever, and I think again, this is just the Lord, like we have to work to keep our hands open. Our fingers don't naturally go like this. Like that's a natural, like we, we think, oh, keep your hands open, but we're actually working to do that. And so God's like, for you not to grab a hold of your life, you've got to work at it. You've got to continue to release. And that was such a, that was a big thing for me. So anytime I'm like, oh, I need to have open hands. I'm like, and that means I have to work at it. Um, which works. Okay, so John Piper has a quote. There's a, uh, I think it's, I think he preached it. But if you look up the painful discipline of our Heavenly Father, it's an article, you can read it. So I can't remember if he preached it or if he wrote it. But uh, it says, what hostile sinners mean for harm, God means for good. What they will is hurtful, God wills is helpful. What they plan is destruction, God plans as salvation. What they design as a deterrent to faith, God designs as discipline for faith. God reigns over the hazards of our circumstances and over the health of our bodies and over the hostility of our adversaries. And he designs all of life ultimately as a loving father's discipline. And I'd encourage y'all to go read that. It's hard, it's hard truth, but it's so good. And so good when we can get to the place of going, God is loving. So 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18 says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So our suffering is working for us. Our suffering is changing us. It's showing us more of who God is. It's tilling up our hearts and realizing we want to hold on to the things of this world. A lot of times suffering comes when our expectations aren't met, when we realize we were holding on really tightly to something and God's like, nope, you don't get to keep that. Like what? It's, it's hard when it comes, but it changes our perspective of who God is if we let it. It pushes us closer to him, which is where you were created. That's what you were created for. It's actually what you really want is a deep, abiding, real relationship with him more than you want it with anybody else. And so suffering tills that up and shows us what we were created for. And so in the hard, we have to wrestle with and deal with and come to term with, which is what I said earlier. One, that God allowed it. Two, that he didn't stop it. So God can stop it and he doesn't always choose to stop it. I've had to sit across from friends who prayed and prayed and prayed that the outcome would be different. But God chose not to, and that is a hard, hard, hard thing to wrestle with. But it doesn't change who God is. <sighs> no tears will come at somebody. And then three, it, do we believe that he is, who he is who he says he is? And that's when we go, God, are you really good when you didn't do what I wanted you to do? Are you really in control? if you chose not to intervene in my life in this way and wrestling with those questions. And so when we don't, again, another poop story in my life, so shocking. So I'm like, who knew? So this is a picture of my dad and my brother-in-law at my grandparents' farm. And my grandpa had gotten older and was ignoring all the poop that was piling up in the stable. And y'all, they were already halfway done in this picture. And that, it was everywhere, everywhere. And they had to go out and spend, I cannot remember how many hours it was, literally scooping poop and putting it in the big old tractor shovel and taking it out and dumping it in the ditch. 
And when we ignore the hard and we try to just go, oh, I'll just deal with it later, or I don't want to deal with it, or we try to ignore it, that's when we get depressed. It's when we get angry. It's when our hearts, honestly, it's when our hearts harden. It's why we are a culture of lots of medication. It's because we don't deal with the hard. We don't sit in the grief. We try to just brush it aside. We just go, oh, I'll be fine. Or um, I trust God. I'm not mad at him. That's probably the number one conversation I have with people is, I think you might be mad at God. They're like, I'm not mad at God. And then we're together for about an hour and it's, and they're like, I'm really mad at God. I'm like, I know. And it's okay. And if you, if you will be honest about that, then you can do something. That's why David railed. That's why David was really honest so that God then had space. But when we close it up and harden it off, it's when it starts to eat our lunch. And y'all, lots, lots and lots of our culture's pain. And I believe a lot of our unhealth and a lot of physical pain is because we don't deal with pain. And it comes out in us physically. And God created it as a sign to say, deal with this. We were made with emotions. We were made to feel it. And we've got to process it and deal with it. And so here's a huge paradigm shift to make is that pain is not punishment. It has a purpose. It purifies and perfects us. It gives perspective. It creates perseverance. It's productive and it's to be passed on. And so instead of seeing pain as punishment, we go to 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. It says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, be thankful in some circumstances darn it. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you to belong to Christ Jesus. And this is another place that I was like, I don't know how you do that. Because I think, I think of thankful as kind of flowery and like, I'm like the thank you cards and you're so great. And y'all think, thanking God can be like through lots and lots of tears, which is where we, I, I love this verse in Psalm 116, 17. Because it says, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Sometimes thanking the Lord is a sacrifice. It's not what we feel. It's not what we want to feel. It's not what we even want to say. In fact, I want to say, God, I'm actually mad at you for giving me this. And yet when I can sacrifice my own feelings and my own wants and go to the Lord and say, thank you for bringing this thing into my life that's going to change me. Y'all, that could take years after the hard thing happens. Like it's not... Sometimes it's not the next day. Sometimes it takes time to get to the place where you can go, you know better than me, and I can thank you for this. And it's a sacrifice, which is what God wants, is a broken and contrite spirit before him is a sacrifice to him, which brings him honor and glory. And then Psalm 126.5 says, those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. And that one has been plastered on many places in my life for a long time. We live by faith, not by sight. And so when those seeds go in the ground, we don't, we don't always get to see what they're doing. God's the one that will water them. So we plant them, we add some water, and then we stand back and we let him make them grow. So what he's going to choose to do with them. So 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 9, Therefore be always of good courage and know that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say and prefer, rather than to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have our, as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. So again, our goal is to 
be the Lord's servant, to be his child and trusting him with the hard things in our life. And then we have to resolve. Solve, Psalm, I don't know where that came from. John 6, 66 through 68. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you going to leave? And y'all, there's been a lot of times I've had to ask myself, am I gonna walk away from this? Am I gonna walk away from the Lord because he's not giving me what I want? He's not doing it the way I want him to do it. When my parents walked away from the Lord, I had to really wrestle with, am I gonna go their way or the Lord's way? Because everything I knew was of, of them trusting the Lord. And so I wrestled and it was a long wrestling process of going, do I really trust you for who you are? And that's when uh, Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you're the Holy One of God. And so I want to challenge you. No one in here fully believes it. I don't fully believe it. Belief grows and our faith grows and our trust grows. And so we have to keep running to the Lord and saying, please, give me more faith. Please give me the ability to trust you more. Please grow my belief in you. And in doing that, letting him create that harvest and it grows and there is life nowhere else. Nowhere else will give you what you really desire. And so I beg you to wrestle with the Lord. I beg you to run to him and to ask him to show you where is it that you're holding on to your life? Where is it that you don't trust him? Where is it that you question his character? Whatever it is, wrestle with him in that and let him show you and deepen your trust in who he is. So on your table, there's a card that your leaders are gonna give you. On one side is the poop emoji. On the other side, I, um, part of the reason you have like the handout, I just gave you everything that was gonna be up here so that you didn't have to frantically write, but Whatever verse on that sheet, take one of those verses and write it on the back of that card and commit it to memory. Spend time sitting with the Lord right now and just go, Lord, where is it that I wrestle? Where is it that I don't trust you? And write that verse on there. So this time what we're gonna spend is just for your reflection with the Lord, just to wrestle a little bit and to ask him to show you what he wants to deepen in you. So I'm gonna pray real quick and then y'all are gonna have some time. Ah, Lord, thank you um, that you don't leave us to ourselves, that you did not allow us to make the choice in the garden and to be separated from you forever um, and not have a plan. Lord, that you knew from the beginning that we would want to choose our own way, that we would run from you, that we would be ashamed, that we would hide, that we would um, try to fix our pain quickly so that we didn't have to deal with the grief. You, you knew how we would be. You knew what we would wrestle with and our tendency and you had a plan. The entire time you had a plan to send your son to take all the punishment for all the choices that we make. And Lord, you allowed him to take that on so that we can just rest in your loving discipline, that we can trust who you are and your character is good and your love for us good. I pray for each woman in this room that you would reveal to them where it's a place in their heart where they don't trust your character or something about who you are or where they're wrestling with the pain that's in their life right now. I pray you would show them, Lord, what truth you want them to write on their heart and that they would take time in the next couple of weeks to sit and wrestle with you and to know you more fully so they can experience the joy that it is to be fully yours and 
walking in your harvest and in knowing your joy and your peace and rest. And we're really grateful, Lord, that you give us that opportunity. Amen. It's, um, yes. Yes. The sheet that you just received is pure gold. And I, I just challenge you to take your journal, take some time and your quiet times, really meet over that. Let it sink in. She just gave you a drink from a fire hydrant. And I had to bring two little props from home that just segue from her talk to mine. Um, one I found at Walmart, which is my favorite place to shop. And it says, it happens, right? It happens. There you go. And I saw this. This is going to be Susie's because inside this is water, is ice cold, fresh water. And if we do not allow ourselves to sit in the situations that he puts us in, to draw comfort from his love, knowing that this is just a part of life. And every mom knows it is a part of life that you have to deal with every day. And if you don't and it piles up, what happens? You know, it's, it's not worth it to let it go. But it's also a sign there is life. And one of the things I was most convicted of while Suze was helping me prep for this, my part of the talk and her part of the talk, is that, you know, it's really a result of what you take in, the stuff in your life that happens. And if you're feeding your soul on the Word of God and truth and community and fellowship and prayer, then you're going to have some pretty productive poop. I know that sounds crazy, but it's going to be worth having. And what we fertilize our soil with is ultimately what feeds the next generation of growth that comes, right? So if you're feeding it bitterness and angry and envy and and hard-heartedness and and anger and frustration, then I used to call it when I was nursing and I was angry, mad milk. You know, you're feeding them mad milk and you don't want to do that. You want to feed them joy and contentment and sweet kind. And then inside this, if we allow ourselves to go through it, kind of like you're going on a bear hunt, that's where the magic happens. And that he brings life. He brings living water out of um, the hardest of rocks. And he brings life and abundance and joy out of the deepest pile of poop that you can imagine. So it's just interesting to me that that's comfort. That's a pillow something for your comfort, but then it's also something that's very uncomfortable. Um, one thing to note, going back to the first part of our talk, thank you, Lauren. It's First Peter, not Second Peter. I messed that up um, when I was giving over my notes. It's First Peter, not Second Peter. Our reference is in the first. And we want you to know, Jesus, just know, go back. Jesus drank the cup filled up with what? The life we lived with measured. He drank our cup. He drank our punishment. And now we're his and his alone. And We want you to know as we move into the weed section, we want to distinguish. I've always had a hard time with kind of like the rocks or the rock sin or the weed sin, what sin. Rocks are just the situation that you find yourself in, the home you grew up in. They're just the solid part of your life that they're sovereign you can't affect, right? Um, My husband took a, a job in Dallas. We chose to move in town and not out to the country. Those are just solid facts about my life. The sin that we're going to start to deal with now within the weeds is more the situations, the seeds that we cultivate, which are lies that are sown by the enemy. See also Eve, who chose to believe. I mean, guys, she had a perfect body. She had a perfect garden. She had a perfect man. And she was naked all the time and never had to worry about what to wear anywhere. And she still chose to give that up for the lie that she bought that there might be something better. She was deceived in believing there's more. And so each of us will grapple with believing God's not good enough, he's not great enough, he's not big enough to handle my problems. I'm not good enough or great enough or big enough to handle my stuff. And my husband certainly isn't, and my children might not. And then we are grappling with those, those blown expectations and those hopes and dreams we have 
can we find um, what we're looking for? Um, your job is super hard because you have to discern what's a rock that I just need to grapple with and maybe rearrange and realign, but deal with in my life. It becomes part of my boundaries. It becomes an altar. It gets chucked, whatever. And then what is the sin that is just day by day cultivated in my life because I'm a sinful person and there's lies I believe and sin is in this world until Jesus comes back to redeem us? Um, deciding. It's a hard job to decide how to work on your garden and the garden of your child and your marriage. That's why I think this is hysterical. My favorite place in my house is my restroom because that's where I can go as a young mom, especially, and now, and kind of regroup. And I've told you all before, I keep several books in there that are devotions, the courage to change, my recovery reading, my Bible, whatever I'm currently reading. So I can go in there and recalibrate and recharge because sometimes you need to leave the chaos at bay and just go and retreat. And I just think it's so interesting. It's called a restroom for a reason. Out with the bad, in with the new. We can be good to go in about five minutes. But find ways during the day to kind of recalibrate and assess where you are and find some food for your soul. And so maybe keep you a little stack of things that feed your soul in your restroom. We are given, as Suze was saying, for the display of his splendor. Don't prevent and don't push away, especially in your kid's life, the hard work of weeding, of tilling the soil, of breaking up your unplowed ground. It gets hard overnight. It's time to seek the Lord. It's painful. And, um, and the reality of it is it happens, right? But when we come to the source of living water and in the midst of our hard time, people see us drinking from the well of living water and embracing it and not just trying to, um, ignore it, deny it, get rid of it. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know how in, um, I love that movie where they had designed the puppy that um, never grew up. Can you imagine a baby that didn't poop? Can you imagine a dog that didn't? We just got recently got a dog and he's precious and we love him and we don't know what we're doing with him. We've had him a week, but he poops. And it's so interesting to me that we want all his goodness and his love and his happy inside. But when it comes time to poop, where does he need to go? Outside, right? And I think that's what Suze is talking about, is, is it's real, it's a part of life. Put it in its proper place, just like you do your rocks. Deal with it, go through it. Um, what I want you to know, the seeds, which are just going to hit minutely, are the sinful thoughts and lies we believe are habits that choke our growth in faith. One plug, merciless plug here for Regen, for Reengage. If your marriage is out of control, if your life is out of control, it will help you order your objectives and break those rocks down into doable chunks you can do something with. Break those sinful habits down into things that the word and the truth and fellowship can address. We allow the worries of this world, I'm never going to be good enough, I'm never going to have enough, God's not big enough to choke us, all right? And we allow the deceitfulness of wealth, just like Eve did, of more, more, more is better. Life is found in becoming God, not just loving and serving God, to choke us and to choke our joy. Sit where you are, be where you are, abide in him. Know that your job is hard and it's tough and a lot of the same drudgery every day, but truly he is big enough and he's good enough. And one of the tools of recovery that I've learned that I'll pass on to you quickly before we discuss what we need to become aware of and ways we need to deal with, we must become aware of our sin. What's ours What's not a part of our sovereign foundation, <laughs> the reality is I'm creating my own insanity here because I'm doing the same thing and expecting different results. Acknowledge it publicly before God. Don't just make a New Year's resolution of, like, Jeannie, I'm not going to be late anymore. As if. I'm not going to drink Diet Coke anymore. Just not going to do it. 
pull in, acknowledge it, that you, hey, I need help. You know, I'm not going through one of my things this year is I don't want to eat by myself going through a drive-in. My, my deal is food. My drug of choice is food. If I eat with you, if we decide to meet at Chick-fil-A and watch the kids play, that's different. But if I'm going through a drive-in just to sate my own thing and I'm not really hungry and there are better options for me, I'm dishonoring my husband, I'm not honoring our budget, and I'm feeding a, an, probably an emotional need with food. And so help me, bring, I've got to put that in the light. My people have to know that, you know, to really ask me about that. See also Mandy on Wednesday mornings. Hey, how you doing with that? Um, accept the fact that we do live in a sinful fallen world. And this is just a part of what we've got to deal with. It will make us stronger. See also Susie's talk. And then take action. So what we want to talk about as we close is you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. You have deceitful desires. You at some point in your life have bought the lie that life works apart from Christ and apart from God's word and his ways. What is that? To be made new in the attitude of your mind. What's one of the verses? What's something your community could help you use to dispel that lie? Um, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We are created to be like God. We're just not created to be God. We're not created to build our own kingdoms. We're created and called to be His, to be an oak of righteousness for the display of His splendor, right? It's part of His living stone being built into His castle, right? That's what we long for. So, as we go to our tables, um, what weeds do you need to take action against? As you've heard about our sovereign foundations, these are the situations, these are the rocks I'm dealing with. I didn't create them, but I've got to deal with them. What is the sin in your life that the Lord has maybe uncovered today or just made you aware of or as you think about things that, hey, I need to acknowledge that and put it out there and really take some ground, um, take some ground this year. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for these precious girls for the truth that you've entrusted us with today, for this table time, this next 10 minutes, I pray it would be deep and rich and productive. Lord, show us, give us the wisdom, the serenity to know, Lord, and to accept the things that we can't change, that we just need to deal with and surrender to you. The courage, Lord, to acknowledge and be aware and accept the things we can, Lord. The wisdom to know the difference, Lord, and um, just the faith and the courage to take action and um, not be women who are passive and and just drowned ourselves in um, indulgence and overeating and any sort of just numbing exercises, Lord, that would keep us from experiencing the pain that you mean to make us more like Jesus. Thank you that you perfected your son through suffering, and you're going to do the same with us. In your name we pray. Amen.